Hi, my name is Caleb. So this, tonight's second Bible reading is going to be from Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 25, which is found on page 1026 on the Pew Bibles. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked. Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he warned his disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Christ. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then Jesus said to his disciples, If if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever wants to lose his life for me will find it. Drinks trolley. Well, thank you for the opportunity again to um, come and speak. Um, <clears throat> really excited to, to be here. Let me pray. Our loving God and Heavenly King, thank you for uh, this time together to sit underneath your word. Thank you that you are the great God in heaven who uh, assembles your people. And thank you for uh, assembling us around your son and under your word. Please help me this, this evening to speak clearly and with words that convict us of your goodness to us in Christ. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever stood before someone under judgment? No, that's just a joke. That was the start of this morning service. I just wanted to see this look on John and Chris's face. (laughs) They didn't react as much as I would have liked them to, actually. Let's start again. I love building. I don't know about you, but I I find building, actually doing, building a building, I find it so, I mean, so, 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 constructive isn't it i mean you start with you start with nothing you start with a blank site and you start pegging out where it's going to fit you start digging holes for the corner posts that kind of sets the boundary of the building and uh, then you you bring in the cement trucks and you cement the floor 
you put up the walls, pop, pop the roof on. When you've got the kind of just the wall, the frames of the wall, you can kind of walk around the building and imagine what it's like, fully fitted out and that sort of thing. Uh, I spent a couple of years of my life on my dad's farm and during those times, for those two years, we built two sheds. We built a bulk grain shed and we built a pig shed. I'm very proud of the fact that I mixed every bit of concrete for that pig shed. And it was very challenging at times. I mean, the holes for the corner posts in the bulk grain shed, they were four foot ten inches. Now, back in the day, of you know, I didn't convert to metric, but I'm basically in the hole almost disappearing, trying to get the last bit of dirt out of the hole before we put the, the, the railway line post up. And, and to actually put a railway line sleeper that, again, 20 foot high conversion, please, that must be about six metres, to have it standing up straight with no support around it and then try and mix the, get the concrete in, that's very challenging as well. So construction is challenging. I tell you what, the most challenging part about these buildings especially the pig shed, was that the plans were inside my father's head and never saw the light of day. We just had to find out as we went along. But I tell you what, it is so rewarding to walk through the finished building, to, to see the first bit of yellow grain being augured into the grain shed. It's fantastic. And, I mean, you mightn't get off on pig farming... But hey, when you've spent three months building this shed and you walk down the aisle of that pig shed and you've got these little cute little pigs in each of their pens, it is so rewarding. Jesus is a builder too. Of all the trades that he chose, he chose carpentry. Of all the virgins that the Holy Spirit chose to impregnate, he chose Mary, betrothed to Joseph, the builder. But of course, Jesus is not just a physical builder, is he? In Matthew 16, we read this extraordinary statement. I will build my church. I don't know if you've ever thought much about that little statement. I will build my church. I'll tell you what I have been now that I've been named as the church planner for officer and kind of uh, all this denominational focus, thinking, oh, oh, I hope I don't muck it up. I hope the walls are straight. Um, I've been thinking lots about that. But, but let me ask you first, how are you feeling about church? We've all got different experiences with church and church can be challenging. It's, it's got difficult people. There are difficult tasks to do. That is just the nature of Christian ministry. So, so building a church, being involved in church, has its challenges. But how are you feeling in your heart towards church, towards church attendance? Well, you must be feeling not, not, not too bad tonight because you're here. That's good. But um, I had a discussion with a friend of mine not so long ago about how people might, the different feelings that people might have with church. And we came up with this great long list. We actually came up with 18 different feelings that people might have. Uh, I ended up grouping them together later on. And I come up with three main feelings. See if one of these three resonates with you. Bored, uninterested, lukewarm about church. That's the first category. <coughs> Hurt, frustrated and angry about church. Second category. 
excited, optimistic, passionate about the church, the third category. Now there are other categories and you know as well as I do that those, you, your feelings will change over time and so one time you might be hurt and frustrated another time you might be passionate. But my contention is if we understand Matthew 16 verse 18 better, it will help us move more toward that third more excited category that will be less bored, uninterested, lukewarm about church, less hurt, frustrated and angry about church and actually move to being more excited uh, about church. Now, uh, this passage has got uh, three key truths in it. Who builds the church? Whose church is it? And how does he build it? That's pretty simple. You can follow along. So let's firstly look at who builds the church. It is the Lord Jesus Christ who does that. Now, this is obvious, and I'm not trying to tell you to suck eggs or anything like that. I'm just trying to tell you that that's what the passage says. The trouble is we often forget this, this fact in practice. Jesus Christ is the builder, not us. Not me, not you. So the very first implication of the idea that Jesus is the builder, not us, is that I, Dave Martin, do not build the church. He is the builder, not me. And that should be and needs to be very humbling for me. Hey, I've been assessed by Geneva Push. I have, that, that's a, a church planting uh, organisation that assesses church planters and they gave me the green light. I have read up on church planting. I've read probably eight books on it. I have analysed the target group. I've read and thought about strategies. And the trouble is when you do all of that stuff, you start to think that the church planter builds the church. Or in a church situation, we start to think that the church pastors build the church. That, you know, if you just get all the ingredients right, so if we get the right church planter, oh, Dave Martin, I've got the right one. Or if we just get the right minister, at this church with the right vision and the right capacity for work and we just get the right launch team or the right core team with the exactly the right set of gifts the right mix of gifts you know you need someone for music out there because I can't sing for nuts but then you develop the right strategy and you employ or you pay for the right marketing with the right logo and the right colour on the logo and all that sort of stuff and you develop all that, you start to think that, that we, the church planter or the church minister, builds the church. I mean, it's just kind of like making a cake. I'm very experienced at making a cake. I believe you use flour. You use a little bit of butter. You've got to melt that in the microwave first. Uh, a bit of sugar. And you need that other thing, egg. Oh, and a little bit of chocolate stuff to make it nice. Or maybe even some... Jan made a cake with, uh, with cherries in it the other day. A slice, that was nice. Chuck a bit of that in. Mix it all up, chuck her in the oven and bang, out pops a cake. And we kind of can think that building a church is just like that. But you know what we've done? We have made a fundamental mistake. We have twisted the thinking and we've forgotten something that Jesus said, the words that came out of his own lips, Matthew 16, verse 18, I will build my church. 
This has been very, very humbling for me. I've had to re- rely on him. In all of these last 12 months, as I've been thinking about this for about 12 months, I have made a fascinating discovery, a fascinating discovery about myself. I've discovered that I, Dave Martin, am not the Messiah. It's amazing. I also realised and made the discovery that neither are you, none of you. Jesus is the Messiah. He builds his church. And part of our frustration with church, with how we're feeling about church, you know what part of the frustration is? We put ourselves in the Messiah's seat. We don't get our own way with something. We don't get elected onto some board or some committee. We don't get asked to do something in church. We don't have the power that we want to do. Things don't work out the way we thought they would and we get our nose out of joint. We need to (coughs) realise that we in and of ourselves can do nothing to change a person's heart. That's Jesus' job. Jesus is building his church, not you, not me. Don't forget Matthew 16, verse 18. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the chief engineer. Jesus is the foreman on site. Jesus is the crucial builder. And he, he invites you to bang a couple of nails in here and there. He even might invite you to put in the incidental screws. You know, screws are a little bit more sturdy than nails. Well done for you. But in the whole building project, we are utterly dependent on him. We are utterly dependent on him in this venture of church planning, in, in this venture of, of building his kingdom here at Surrey Hills. That's the first implication, be humble. But the second is precisely because it is Christ who does the building, we can have confidence to step out in faith and plant a new church. Even if we're you know, old and grey-haired, we can still do it. We can still step out in faith. We can be involved in church. Well, in my university ministry, I can encourage students to serve on campus. Because it is Jesus who builds his church. We can trust in his promise. Not trust in ourselves, trust in his promise. His ironclad promise, I will build my church. We don't have to be afraid to testify to him. We don't have to be timid. We don't have to be hesitant or doubtful because he has promised that he will build his church. It is his responsibility and we can jump on board in faith in his uh, mission, and we can help him. So who builds the church? Christ. He's the builder of the church. Yes, we need humility to recognise that it's him, but we can also have confidence and step out in faith precisely because it is him. Second key truth that this talks about is whose church is it? This is obviously a question of ownership. It's a little bit less obvious in this statement because it's all caught up in that little um, personal pronoun, my. I will build my church. The church belongs to Jesus Christ. It is not mine. It is not yours. It is his. Primarily, it is his. And again, this is one of those so obvious truths that... um, we were kind of thinking, oh, I'm not learning anything new here, but in practice we forget it. 
The church belongs to Jesus. And we all, we all say, I'm going to, we all talk about our church as being my church. And in one, at one level, that's not wrong to speak about that. But if we forget that it's Jesus' church, it becomes a problem. <clears throat> and realising that it's Jesus' church has a very important implication for participation. Participation in Jesus' church should, should be joyful. We, we should be joyfully involved in church. Maybe let me uh, speak particularly to people who are on the fringe of church. Have you forgotten that it's Jesus Christ's church? That it is his precious people? I read an article uh, not so long ago about the average church attendance. You know what the, uh, the name of the article was? The name of the article was, meet, the title of the article was, Meet the New Twicer. That is the person who goes along to church twice a month. So I want to stress this to, to any fringe people out there. People who are perhaps feeling bored and disinterested in church, so much so that they can only go, only can muster up the time and the effort to come twice a month. Is church so exciting to you and so important to you that you just give it two hours every 30 days? We often do it for selfish reasons, don't we? We can, we can distance ourselves, we can stay uninvolved, we can sit out there on the fringe. And you know what? The excuses that we can come up with to avoid church, we are just ingenious at coming up with excuses, aren't we? Oh, I'm feeling a bit tired today. Oh, I've had a busy weekend. Oh, I've got my friends over. Or I've got my relatives over. We're, like, we can just come up with excuses just like that. What is the problem with you? Don't you like the people that Jesus Christ died for? Don't you like his brothers and sisters? Maybe the problem is with you. Maybe you're too fussy. It's fussy perhaps with the choice of music. Great songs tonight, Muses. I really enjoy them. Um, no problem there from me. Maybe you're too fussy with the, the gifts of your minister. Want him to have other, other gifts that he hasn't got or something. Maybe church has become boring for you in some way. Let, let me say this. If you are bored with church, logically you are bored with Jesus Christ's church. And if you are bored with Jesus Christ's church, logically you are bored with Jesus Christ. And that is a problem. Maybe you have lost the wonder of sins forgiven, of wrath turned aside, of new life granted to you in Christ. And if you are bored with Jesus and lost the wonder of what he has done when he died on the cross, you need to repent. There is no gentle way to say that. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 16, a church had become bored with Jesus, the Laodicean church. Uh, I call them the lukewarm Laodiceans. Uh, Jesus says to them, you, you are lukewarm, and he, and he says, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. That's actually a soft translation. If you read the, um, the original, it's more like, I'm about to spew you out of my mouth. 
What that tells you is that lukewarm Christians make the Lord Jesus Christ sick. Lukewarm Christians make Jesus sick. Maybe your problem is that you're not bored, you're not lukewarm. Maybe, maybe your problem is you're too busy for Jesus' church. You're on the fringe because you've just got so much happening in your life. Well, you, your problem is you're too selfish with your time. Think about that. Think about how you could be too busy for the church that Jesus Christ built by coming down to earth and shedding his blood. The church that he built by denying himself life because he loved you. If you love Jesus, then you will deny yourself. I want to challenge you tonight to stop pretending and get serious. Stop being a twicer. This is Jesus' church that he's built. He's built it with his precious blood and all his people are precious to him. Get serious about that. Even at the end of the passage in Matthew 16, 24, Jesus calls us to the same kind of self-denial that he uh, did. Um, if you're too busy for church, you're an embarrassment to the Lord Jesus. There's no soft way to say that. So, whether you're bored or whether you're too busy, you need to repent. And you need to realise afresh that the church belongs to Jesus Christ the people in God's church, Jesus' church, are precious to him and you should be joyfully involved in all things church because it's Jesus' church. Well, the last key truth in Matthew 16 is about the question, how? <clears throat> how does Jesus build his church? As you can see, it's actually a rather unconventional method. It's a paradoxical method in a way because he builds the church by destroying his own body. In verse 21 he says, He must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, the chief priests and the scribes and be killed. Now that's very strange really because how can you build something when you're dead? But then of course he slips in the, and I'll be raised on the third day. But poor old Peter missed all that in a shock. He is so shocked that he takes, Peter, uh, takes Jesus aside and rebukes him. Oh no Lord, that will never happen to you. But poor old Peter is ignorant. He, he doesn't understand the plight of humanity. He doesn't even understand the need for a sacrifice for sin, the need for forgiveness. He doesn't even understand the extent of God's love, that, that, that God's got this grand plan of salvation that requires the Messiah to be sacrificed. But Jesus does understand all that. And so then he utters another even more alarming statement to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're an offence to me. You're, you're not thinking about God's concerns, but man's. See, Peter is thinking about himself. He wants to keep Jesus for himself. He doesn't want Jesus to, to die, to go away. But he's ignorant even of his own need for Jesus to die on the cross. Jesus must die. The Lamb of God must be sacrificed in order for the sins of the world to be taken away. And only then, by faith, will people actually be gathered to God in Christ. And that word gathered, that's the church word. That's what the, you know, it's, it's now a religious word, 
but, a, but it meant and means the assembly, the gathering of people. It, that word, assemble or, or church, first appeared in Deuteronomy chapter 4. We read it earlier tonight. Moses was reflecting back on the Mount Sinai experience and God was, um, God was saying to him, remember I told you, assemble the people? That's the church word. The first church, if you like, was at Mount Sinai. But this church is only built by Jesus dying on the cross. Have a, have a look at John 12, verse 32, or think about it as I read it out. John 12, 32. As for me, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. I will gather people from all the nations, is what he means. There's the church idea. We are not formed without a sacrifice for sin. Without the death of Jesus on the cross to reconcile sinful mankind to a holy God, there is no church. So there's a divine imperative here. Jesus must die. We shouldn't be alarmed by that. Jesus' death is so central to building the church that the church will not exist without it. So what are the implications about this for the future? You know, you might observe that the glory days, John uh, spoke about it just a, uh, a minute ago, you know, the church is now in, in its decline. Uh, we, we're a remnant, we're struggling for numbers compared to what we used to be. What's going to be the future? What's it going to be like in another hundred years' time? Two implications from what is said here. First one is, notice that he said, on this rock. He says, Petros, Peter, that means small rock. On this rock, I'll build... He says, you are Peter, Petros, small rock, and on this rock, Petra, different word, on this large bedrock, I will build my church. What's the bedrock? The bedrock is not Peter. The bedrock is Peter's confession. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. They've been trying to work out who Jesus is for the last two and a half years and they finally realised it. And Jesus Christ picks up that confession, you are the Christ, and he says, on it I will build my church. When anyone confesses Jesus to be the Christ, as Peter just did, they will be added to the church because they've acknowledged Jesus Christ as the Messiah. More than that, um, Peter is given the keys to the kingdom. Whatever he binds on earth will be already bound in heaven. Not giving any, uh, Peter any special status because all the apostles have this status in the next chapter. But what do keys, oh, sorry, in chapter 18. But what do keys do? Keys open doors. That is, keys let you in. Uh, contrast this to what the Pharisees have been doing in the times of the New Testament. Matthew 23, verse 13. The Pharisees have been shutting people out. So the key to entry into the kingdom of heaven is the confession of Jesus as the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And that's been given to the, uh, the apostles, not the um, religious leaders. So when it talks about binding and loosing, um, that used to be referred to the Jewish rabbis. Uh, and it's not talking about people, it's talking about things or teachings. So the Jewish rabbis used to be the ones who declared things right and wrong according to um, God. But Jesus is saying, not so anymore, 
that authority is being handed over to the disciples. They're being inspired by the Holy Spirit. They are going to be the ones who will declare authority from here on in truth, the truth concerning things about God. So there's a changing of the guard from the Jewish religious leaders and rabbis to the 12 apostles. And this has got real implications for us because the future of the church is safe if it is built on the foundation of the apostles, on the confession of the apostles that Jesus is the Christ. So if you ever, ever move away from the authority of the scriptures, Jesus Christ will not build his church. Um, I find it fascinating. You, you've heard of the church growth movements, I presume, uh, or, you, or you have now that I've said it. There's lots of theories about church growth. I have a theory about church shrinking. Um, my theory about church shrinking is if you move away from the Bible, the church is going to shrink. It won't shrink in the first couple of years. It mightn't even shrink in the first 10 years. But you go down the track 50 years and churches that have moved away from the Bible have decidedly shrunk. Go down another 100 years and they probably don't exist. Stay on the rock. Christ promises to build his church that are, that's founded on the confession of the apostles, uh, particularly centering on the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's a second implication. If you worry about the future of the church, let me ask you, do you pray for the church? Do you pray for the church to be planted in officer? Or like Peter, are you thinking too much about concerns of mankind rather than concerns of Christ building his church? Too often, too many of us are often caught up in our own actions and our own concerns and we neglect to think about the building of Christ's church. We need to pray. In fact, sometimes prayer is all we can do because we can't convince someone to believe in the Lord Jesus. We can we can tell them about Jesus, but we can't kind of turn a switch in their heart to say, on. Only God can do that. Um, for people to realise that Christ is, sorry, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, it needs God to do that. And so are you praying for that? See, even in this passage, Peter says, such con- sorry, um, Matthew says, such confession does not come from flesh and blood. It doesn't come from our evangelistic efforts. It doesn't come from our clever defence of the gospel. It doesn't come from our superb preaching. It doesn't come from our strategies. Confessing Christ only comes from the Heavenly Father revealing these things to us, shining the light of the gospel into our hearts, making people realise that their need for their Saviour, making uh, people realise that only Jesus can meet that need. And he meets that need fully and perfectly in his Son, the Lord Jesus um, when Peter said, you are the Christ, um, Jesus said back to him, this was not revealed to you by uh, man, but by my Father in heaven. We build the church when people are added to the number, but people cannot be added to the number without God revealing it to them. So, pray. Pray. Pray for the people who live three doors uh, next door to you and the next door down and the next door down and three this way and three across the street, six across the street, 
straight across, three either side. And three behind you, one, two, three. Sorry, six behind you, one, two, three that way, one, two, three that way. Pray for those people. Pray for your work colleagues that God might reveal to them that Jesus is the Messiah. And, and be a godly example and be a faithful witness. But pray that people might make the confession, Jesus is the Christ. Because as they make that confession, they are added to the church. Well, let me, uh, let me wrap up. Here is this glorious statement, I will build my church. And it cuts across human pride, it cuts across our gloating, and it forces us to our knees to say to, to Jesus, Please, Lord Jesus, build your church. But as we get on our knees and ask him to build his church, we can also step out in faith and have confidence that he will answer his, He will be faithful to his promise of building his church so we can share Christ with our neighbour. We can open our mouth uh, at our workplace. It gives us confidence to raise the topic of Christianity in family gatherings. Despite the ridicule that we might have had in the past, uh, we can have confidence. Because maybe, just maybe, our Heavenly Father may choose to reveal to them that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And that through faith in him they can have their sins forgiven and they can be gathered to God in heaven. For my part, I am really, really glad that it is Christ who builds his church because he's the all-conquering Messiah. He's the one who's risen from the dead. He is the one who gives us all we need to be joyfully involved in church. All the reason to be joyfully involved. All the reason to regularly attend and be actively serving in church. And we can have faith in him that he will build his church as long as we stay on the rock, the solid rock of confessing him as the king and asking him to build his church even though we are rough and unattractive building blocks as as we all are let's pray our father and our god we thank you that you indeed are building your church thank you father god that you sent your son jesus to die on the cross that we might be forgiven and more importantly then, that because we are forgiven, we might be drawn into fellowship with you. What a privilege that is, Father God. Father God, we confess to you times in the past of being lukewarm about church, of being too busy, of being um, too unconcerned about these things, about your gathering. We are sorry for those times, Father God. Please remind us afresh that this is your church, your precious people. And we pray that you will help us to be joyfully involved. Thank you for the wonderful privilege of being part of your church. Thank you for your amazing sacrifice to die that we might be gathered to you. Help us to realise afresh how precious this is. And we ask this in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen.